Welcome to this episode of C-Suite Interviews, where leaders from across the business spectrum share ideas about how to help organizations thrive. Whether working in the nonprofit, public, or private sectors, you'll hear tips from emerging and veteran leaders that are sure to enlighten and inspire. If you're ready, here's the host of C-Suite Interviews, John Janklays. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's edition of C-Suite Interviews. I'm your host, John Janklays. And I just wanted to let you know that this show is available on iTunes or at theceocorner.com where you'll find an archive of not only these shows over the last two years, but white papers, articles, discussions on all aspects of leadership. So if you haven't had a chance, check it out. Before we jump into today's interview, I just wanted to share with you that I've published my second book. It's titled Constellations, a Playbook for Improving Performance. I wanted to let you know that I teamed up with my partner, Karen Bankston, again, to bring you a book that is about how to improve performance. It comes not only with the guide, but it comes with a template playbook with audio instructions on how to get started with your very own playbook to improve your performance. So we just wanted to let you know that that's available at Amazon or at the CEO Corner. Okay, let's move right into today's interview with Steve Presley, CEO of Nestle USA. Steve's been with the company for 23-plus years, the last two as CEO. Steve is leading Nestle through a transformation of their business through a process he calls self-disruption. In this interview, we cover a wide range of leadership topics. I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion. So if you're ready, put your feet up, and here's my interview with Steve Presley. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me. I am so glad you made time for us. We're sitting in your beautiful offices here in Virginia. The building is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, we're excited about the space. It's been a really good transition for us. And, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, physical space actually contributes to the quality of the work. So we, we've, uh, we're, we're proud of it. Yeah. So maybe a good place to start for today's discussion is tell us a little bit about your professional arc. You know, we all start somewhere and all the way to this job that you have here. And I think it maybe starts as a paper boy. And I don't know if <laughs> I heard this story correctly. Uh, yes, yeah, my <laughs> famous le- LinkedIn video. No, um, yeah, you know, my, I have two brothers and, and uh, you know, we grew up pretty um, modest, very modest. And so as part of uh, helping out the family in fourth grade, we got up every morning, 4.30 in the morning, went and uh, this was a long time ago. So before any of us had driver's license, we'd take mom's car up there wrap the papers and then drive around and deliver the papers every morning before school so that that's my uh, start of my professional career but many many distinguished jobs paper boy dishwasher bus boy uh, never good enough to be a waiter but uh, you know. yeah well my first uh, hustle was uh, moving mowers I, I mowed everybody's nice. lawn in the neighborhood you know got to have that side hustle solid exactly yeah so kind of bring me up to the first kind of real job if we want to call it that and then how did you get to this chair yeah, sure you know I started it's funny I went to uh, freshman orientation in college you know the neighborhood I grew up in didn't have a lot of professionals and so I didn't really know what professionals did my mom was a nurse but back then nurses didn't make a lot of money and uh and I sat in orientation and I put on put up on the board you know this is what you make when you graduate and I was engineer was first and I thought I think that's a lot of math and then the second was accountant I said I'm going to be an accountant didn't know what they did didn't know anything about it chose to be an accountant majored in accounting and I went straight through and started as a CPA, worked in public accounting for a little while, and uh, went to work for a client and kind of went from there. And that's how I ended up in the food and beverage industry. I, I started uh, in this Hershey. Hershey acquired a company I worked for, which was okay. Leaf, but it was all confections. Mm-hmm. And uh, started in the food business and been in it ever since and love it. It's uh, 
So 20 years here at Nestle? Yeah, yeah. Tw- uh, yeah, over 20 now. I think almost 23 years, and, and uh, before that, six or seven. Okay. And, and, and in the corner office for what, the last two years? Last two years. Feels okay. like about 20. Yeah. But uh, no, it's it's been two years in the CEO seat. So maybe that's a good kind of transition then to, so, so Nestle, where are you taking the company? What's its mission? What are you trying to do? Sure. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, if you look in the in the food and beverage industry, the last you know five years, seven years, as as the consumer was struggling a little bit, the industry was struggling. There wasn't a lot of growth. I think uh, small kind of emerging brands were really taking a lot of the growth out of the business and the bigger CPG, mm-hmm. big food we call them. Um, we're all kind of collectively losing share, in, including Nestle, and everybody focused on taking cost out of the system, trying to get more efficient. Uh, and when I was the CFO, we did that, and the team did actually a tremendous job of creating a lot of shareholder value through that. But ultimately for me, as I shift from CFO to CEO, the organization has to grow to be healthy. We have to be able to connect with consumers in a way that they want to buy our products more and more every single day and and shift the mindset and the behaviors and the activities in the organization to become a growth company. And it sounds easy to go, hey, look, we're going to move from kind of a cutting organization to a growth. But it's a huge transformation that uh, we've been under for the last two years and, and knock on wood, been yeah. pretty successful so, so it sounds far. like so culture shift is underway. Uh, so what are some of the kind of the tenants or kind of the pillars or kind of the guiding principles of the shift? Do you sure. have some? Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I say this to the team and I say it all the time. I, there's nothing magical about what we do in most businesses, right? I make macaroni and cheese, lasagna, pizza, yeah. creamers, coffee. Well, thank you, you. I love yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 98% of the households in the U.S. I'm love them too. So yes. uh, we're excited about that. But but the reality is you could go start a company and compete with me tomorrow without a factory, without a sales force. And, and so for us, the way we win is through our people. That's our point of differentiation. And so are we creating the kind of organization and the kind of culture that one, unlocks the potential of our people and then allows them to aspire to not just win and grow share, but to actually kind of reset the bar for the food and beverage industry. And so that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, it's a shift. I mean, I think for us, we've always been a people organization, but but I believe people and culture is actually the number one requirement for commercial success. And so we focus on it a tremendous amount. And we've taken the organization through this, this migration to say, look, we don't just talk talent in the end because you're supposed to. We talk talent because it's the first part of the commercial plan to achieve success. People first strategy. People first want. strategy. Okay. And, 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 and then it gets into, okay, one, you got to walk the talk and make sure people see the leadership actually doing the things that, that you say are important. And two, it's, it, it's setting expectations, we call them ways of winning, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have four ways of winning uh, that sets the kind of cultural norms in the organization. So speed, we, we, we've got to move fast. Consumers today think and move at a pace that is uncomfortable for us, and, and that doesn't matter. That's our problem, not her problem. And so you got to have an organization that can move with that kind of speed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it used to be... 18 months for product development and then we do some market testing and we do Absolutely. research. That's yeah. gone. Right? It's like I need a new pizza in two weeks and I want to have it on the shelf in three weeks. Right? That's how fast the organization has to move. And so this idea of being fast, right? don't, don't wait for perfection. Don't let perfection be your enemy here. And, and so that's the first cultural tenet. The second is agility. Right? So things change. You're never going to have perfect information. You're never going to have 
and even when you do, you won't make perfect decisions. So just make sure you're staying focused on the, the right long-term goal, which is we call true north, right? So our true north for us is winning with consumers. Are we delighting our consumers every day? And if we do that, then we'll win in the marketplace. But you got to be agile and, of course, correct and adjust as you go. Uh, the third one is collaboration. I believe in teamwork. I think good, strong teams make achieve better results, right? It's been proven time and time again. And the last one is courage, right? Have the courage to change the rules, change the game. Don't just, you know, what the category does is an excuse for, for me. I think reinvent yeah. it. Yeah, you know, those tenants that you're talking about, as you were talking about, I had my mind on almost like some entrepreneurial guy who's a startup and he's firing <laughs> off. So, right? You it's know, fun, it's it, funny it, you say that. I tell the team, I say, look, I want to have the entrepreneurial spirit with the backing of the world's largest food and beverage company. And, and it's, it's been interesting as I, as I talk that in my town halls or in communication, this, this idea of what well, does that mean you want to hire entrepreneurs? No, I want to act with the same kind of passion and intensity that, that they bring because they have to. They don't have any choice, right? Yeah, and for yeah. me, we don't have any choice. We have an obligation to lead this company to be the kind of company it can be. And so, yeah, we, we try to take from that spirit and I think uh, you know we, we do outside cool. work with entrepreneurs it's hard startups. to foster that mindset it, it is. sometimes I'll ask my leaders if you had zero capital what choices would you make today that's a great like, question. I have to make money today right <laughs> what right. would I do you know would it change your agenda today we did we we do something we call open channel sourcing or open sourcing from our employees we have 50,000 employees in the US and so we say look you're 50,000 consumers you have great product ideas so we give them a forum say tell us your ideas we're going to vote for them actually the employees are going to vote for them and then we'll do a panel with the finalists and the ones that win we're actually going to make you the ceo of that product and you're going to launch it right Fantastic. and we're going to and we're going to give you a very tiny budget like a startup <laughs> and so we give them a very small amount of money and say live and breathe like a startup and the cultural experience people get that go through that they go I thought I knew how the business worked. I had no idea, and and the connectivity to the company's been incredible. Yeah, all the collaboration required Absolutely, to take this yeah. idea and kind of bring it in, in into view. Great. Yeah, so people get fired up through this process, and I can just imagine conversations begin to happen. Hey, you know, I kind of like this. I'd like to contribute more, do more. Um, so we're probably talking to emerging leaders. And so, what advice would you have for emerging leaders? You know, is there anything that you would tell them? Couple, couple things to be thinking about and focusing on. Yeah, I mean, you're right. For us, I think cultural transformation has to start at the leadership, and it's not just the senior leadership. It's not. It has to happen at the C level for sure. That's that's unacceptable if it doesn't. But then it has to go down to the people that really run the company day in and day out. The the body of leadership in the organization has to function that way. And so I tell people, regardless of your level, you're a leader. I expect you to think about how to make the business better. Think about the opportunities where you want to take it. Every single thing we do can get better every single day. And so how do you step up and lead as an individual, regardless of what your card says? I don't care what your yeah. card says. Yeah. And so that's part of it. And then the second one for, for emerging leaders, I always try to tell people, look, have the courage to take the roles and work on the projects that aren't the safe projects, right? And, and you know, many times the question you always get when you're with a young group of leaders is, well, how, how did you get to be CEO? Like, you know, sure. And I said, well, I paid a lot of people, right? A lot of bribes <laughs> through the years. And, no. and, and 
the the reality is is like whenever the company had a big problem or there was a big opportunity that was identified that carried a lot, I was the first one to raise my hand or I was the first one to propose we're not taking big enough risks to do something. And you've got to, you know, I, I say sometimes run to the fire, like go to the big challenge and then it creates the big opportunities. If you stay safe and you stay in the bubble, you'll never kind of achieve that greatness. You'll learn. Even if the project doesn't succeed, you'll still come out of it a better business person. Yeah, I don't know about, about you, Steve, but some of the biggest learning moments I've had is from my failures, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You walk away with a ton. So in your whole arc and career, can you think of either a huge success or a huge failure that kind of informs, doesn't have to be huge, but just that informs who you are today? I mean, you can look back and go, that was a moment that, man, I baked that into kind of my, my leadership DNA now. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. I think if I look at um, some of the failures of the past, and I think, look, I used to do a speech actually for my team, and I listed all because I was trying to encourage risk taking. And yes. I said, these are all the stupid ideas that I've had that were horrible failures. Yeah. And in the end, it didn't stop me, right? I've got a lot of good ones too <laughs> that sure. have gotten me here, but you've got to be taking the risk and the challenges to go. So, like, for one today that actually was a big failure for me that ended up iterating into a big success and you know I launched uh, Coffee Mate's a huge brand for us it's a couple billion dollars really successful business and and um, and I used to run that business I kind of grew up on that inside of Nestle and and you know I thought well we've got non-dairy creaming and I'm gonna launch a dairy creaming I'm gonna call it Coffee Mate half and half and I spent all this money launched it, it was a horrible failure right <laughs> Just miserable <laughs> failure. But in the end, the team kept iterating on the idea of how to capture more households. And today, it's a couple hundred million dollar business for us. It really does incredibly well. They changed the name to Natural Bliss and uh, changed the product formula. It's actually doing incredibly well. So the team took yeah. the failure and iterated it into a great success. Uh, so that's why I say in the failure, many times there's a core insight that actually will, whether it applies to this one or the next project that will make your next one. Kind of anchoring back to a comment you made earlier, which was progress over perfection or yeah. something like that. So it kind of sounds like that experience was, hey, right out of the chute, good idea, but you kept iterating on exactly. it, right? Yeah, there you get there. I mean, okay. I think you go, well, why is the U.S. tech industry... Uh, so successful and lead the world like it does today and, and and I think it was built on this foundation of the change happens so fast in the industry that there is no such thing as perfection and everything is an iteration or a version 1.0 2.0 3.0 and so it's okay to launch in our business with a 1.0 and just keep making it better with time and and that's the that's a change in mindset for our consumer products industry uh, but uh, but that's what we're trying to drive through the culture but it seems like in tandem there's also been a change in mindset with consumers. They're looking for kind of the next new thing, the next generation, app 2.0, 3 .0, 4 .0. It's kind of, it's acceptable, right? Kind of looking for that. Keep bringing those 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 good ideas. You know, people ask me a lot, what, what's the most frustrating thing about the job or about consumers? And I say, well, uh, you know, uh, nothing. At the end of the day, consumers can do what they want to do. It's our job to be agile enough to respond to those needs. I don't get frustrated when they change they're allowed to change just like you change as a person yeah. they change and it's our job to meet those new needs and so uh yeah the the used to be if you had a hit in our business you had a hit for 50 years right so yeah. you develop a product 50 years of growth success profitability today you get a hit in a food and beverage product 
you've got an 18, 24 month window and you better have a fast, agile organization that has the next series of hits right So I'm envisioning somewhere here in this building there's some kind of lab or some kind of something going on like that. Is there something like that? It's top here? secret, I can't tell you that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. Absolutely, a product development in all the divisions that actually sits resonant with the commercial people, with the marketers to try to connect the product development with the with the consumer inside people to, to bring better products to market. Okay. Yeah. And so there's labs and kitchens, you know, we try to call them kitchens because ultimately we want to make you great tasting food and beverages that, that delight you and, and you want to buy every day. Well, it sounds like it's a little bit beyond the food. It's the experience in the kitchen. How that, how's it going to work for you? How's the, the bottle open? How does exactly. the pizza open? Oh, that kind of the whole thing. So, um, so you got to keep your head up. You got to keep your eye on the horizon. Kind of keep learning. Maybe share with our audience how do you do that? You know, if I looked on your iPad or your iPhone or your nightstand at night, the books you're reading, you know, what what would we find? Yeah, I'd say I love to read um, two kind of books. You know, um, I just finished a book, Legacy, about the All Blacks, the the rugby club. Yeah, um, that's around extended greatness and how they build a culture of greatness uh, and so I love to study leadership styles and and how you get the most out of teams and then I love to, to read anything I can about any organization that has sustained greatness right and and look for the and there are so many common threads and the most common thread in there the two of them are strong leadership with a commitment to, to the people that you serve and an obligation, understanding that obligation of leadership, an expectation of excellence, right? And it's not just the leader's expectation of excellence. It's the leader's expectation, the peer's expectations, and the entire organization believes everything we do has to be excellent. And then, and then I'd say the last one is just this, this um, drive and hunger that that excellence commitment I think creates in the body but uh, and so I spend a lot of time uh, reading and researching culture and how to drive culture because I, I go back to the first thing I said I believe culture and people actually make the commercial success I'm with you my mentor in graduate school was Peter Drucker and he said um, right exactly strategy will eat you know I mean I, I believe it I believe it yeah. uh, in my core I really think yeah. culture does beat strategy strategy is it works. It's a wonderful thing, but in the end, you can't execute it with the wrong culture. And you probably lived through a brilliant strategy that didn't come to life Absolutely. because the culture mm -hmm. wasn't there to drive it, or yeah, exactly. pick a second-rate strategy and you still win with it because the people are so strong and the culture is so strong. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you you look at, you know, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, so it's hard for me to admit this, but if you look at the yeah. New England Patriots, they were one of the worst franchises in the NFL, and. And, you know, Bill Belichick comes in. It's not just Bill Belichick. It's not that they have the best people or the best talent, right? They figure out how to get the most out of the talent they have and the kind of people that work best within the system mm -hmm. and then deliver the best team results. And that kind of commitment is the same thing we can do in business. And, uh, and that's what we're really looking for. And, and, yeah, it's not about having the greatest strategy or the brilliant offensive mind. you got to have those things, but... More importantly, I really believe you got to have the culture and the people. Feeling the energy, right? In an yeah, organization, exactly. the culture it kind of brings. So um, I say sometimes my job is to focus energy, raise it up, and then focus it on the mission at hand. And great. our yeah. team's got a, a ton of energy. But thinking of that, how do you restore your energy? Your job takes a ton of it to make it happen. So how do, how do you go away and recharge and come back? And, 
to be the energetic leader that you are? That's a great question. I, you know, for me, I get a lot of energy from my family. I've I, I, uh, been married since I was 21. I met my wife in kindergarten. <laughs> you didn't meet her on the paper route. No, no, no. okay. All but right. uh, we went to kindergarten together, so we've been partners forever, and uh, and so we have a lot of fun in life. But, you know, I love to spend time outdoors. I'm, I love the ocean, anything in the ocean. And I try to separate myself. You know, one of the things I tell young leaders is, look, even though you think the job is 24-7, you have to be able to disconnect for a bit. And I, I tell people, look, you can't always do it, but I try to turn the phone down, don't look at the screen, don't bring the phone in the house, separate the family time from the work time. Because in the end, if you do that well, you'll actually be better in both roles. And, and when you don't do it well, you're not the best you can be in either role. And so through my entire career, I used to leave my phone in my truck every day and not actually bring it into the house and if it was really a chocolate milk emergency or whatever it was <laughs> you, you call the house i'm in there you but the uh, phone's gonna ring. but yeah. otherwise it'll wait until tomorrow and and then it'll let you be a better husband and father and it'll let you be i think refreshed when you come back to the office where you're not just racing on something all the time and so that's uh, you know i've really tried to live that my entire career and I tell our team, I said, I don't just say balance because that's what you're supposed to say when you interview yeah. people. I actually believe it makes you better um, as a person. And you, if you don't have happiness in kind of your both work and personal world, it won't work. Yeah. 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 Move from one playground to the next, exactly. right? All the good, fun things in life. Steve, thank you so much yeah. for your time today. But before we go, is there any kind of ask you have the audience or any kind of message that you'd want to send before we go? I mean, I think the kind of ask or the message I'd say is any to a group of leaders, right? And, and that this is challenge. We have, we have an obligation to challenge ourselves to become better leaders. You got here because you're good at what you do and you're probably a strong leader, but you can be better all the time, right? And so are you not just focusing on the strategy of the business? Because that's important. You've got to guide the strategic direction of the organization. But are you focusing on yourself to actually be a better leader for your organization? Are you a great communicator? Because I actually don't believe you can be a great leader unless you figure out how to be a great communicator. And, and in the end, take the time to continue to develop. You don't get to stop when you get to be a CEO. Uh, you can develop until you're done uh, in, on the world. And so, but uh, that, that's what I always try to tell people, regardless of how high you go, um, the, the opportunity to continue that growth and development is an obligation. That's, that's your obligation as a leader in the organization. You know, there's in my instance, there's 50,000 people that depend on us to make sure we do the right thing for the organization and, and drive the company forward and, and succeed. And people love to succeed. And so how are you going to help do that? By getting better yourself. Great message to end on. Stay curious, stay open, keep learning. And uh, you've helped us with that today. I know a lot of folks are learning and taking away a truckload of value from just listening to the message today. Steve, thank you very much. Oh, great. Really love it. Enjoyed being here.